Welcome to House Highlight, a weekly Facebook livecast and podcast focused on Maryland politics. I'm Eric Ludke, Majority Leader of the Maryland House of Delegates, and each week I interview one of my incredible colleagues to help you learn more about them and the work they're doing. You can tune in live each Tuesday at 6 p.m. on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Eric for Maryland. And you can watch recorded interviews on that same Facebook page or listen to them in podcast format on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever lesser app you use to get your podcast. We're speaking to you here now in the, the second week, the first full week of the legislative session. Those of you viewing on Facebook will notice that I've done what I do every year. I forgot to get a haircut during session, so I am shaggy as heck. Uh, but our guest today looks much better than I do this week. We are like Delegate Alonzo Washington. Alonzo is a native Prince Georgian and a fellow Terp who became one of the youngest members in the legislature when he was appointed to represent the 22nd district back in 2012. But he uh, quickly rose through the ranks uh, nonetheless. And he's now serving as vice chair of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee and chair of the subcommittee on education. Welcome to House Highlights, Alonzo. Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, of course, of course, absolutely. So we we always start off with a softball to get our guests in the mood. So, uh, so starting out, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? What do you do outside of legislative work? And, and why'd you run for office? Yeah, sure. Look, let me ask a quick question first, man. I love this house highlights, but I got to say, man, it sounds like the house of highlights, which is where they highlight football, basketball plays, on ESPN and also YouTube. So I was like, man, did Eric steal this from- uh, No, from no, I see, I don't even have cable. I didn't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I accidentally steal stuff all the time. My son, uh, we ended up giving him two middle names, Michael and Scott. I had no idea that Michael Scott was the main character from The Office. I named my kid after The Office. Oh man, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, House of Highlights is where they highlight NBA plays that happened the night before or some other stuff. So I was like, oh man, they're gonna highlight some plays. Uh, but you guys are highlighting the work that we're doing, which I think is yep. fantastic. Yep. So thank you uh, for this platform and thank you for having me today sure. and get to see you. Um, but um, it's great to talk to the, the people of Maryland. And uh, as Eric mentioned, I'm Alonzo Washington. Got into politics because I was inspired by a single mother of six kids who raised uh, six beautiful kids on her own with an eighth grade education um, that worked extremely hard to get me and the rest of our family to be successful. And so that's my mom, Elizabeth Ann Washington, um, who has inspired me to get into politics and really wanted to make sure I saw a difference in the community that I in the community that I live in, the neighbors that are near me, the people that look like me and that grew up like me, that grew up in homelessness and grew up grew up through evictions, um, you know, that have had certain circumstances that many Marylanders or other folks haven't had. Uh, but to be able to highlight those issues at this level, I think is extremely important uh, because representation matters in order to bring these issues to the forefront. So, uh, so that's really why I got involved and that's really why I'm here. And that's really why I'm inspired to keep, keep and continue to doing the things that I'm doing. And, um, and so I wanna just say God bless to my mom who passed away a few years ago. And um, I know Eric, you know what that feels like and it's not a, not a great feeling, um, but, um, but our family is getting through it. Um, and I'm um, just, I'm sure she, I'm hopeful that she's continuing to smile down on me and, and proud of the work that we're doing down here in Maryland for the people that, um, that resemble our family. I guarantee, man, she's looking down and, and proud of you every day for the work you're doing. It's, uh, I, I, I feel you on that. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, I lost my mom a few back, a few years back and it, it's rough, but you know, same sort of thing. I mean, she's the person that gave me my values and inspired me to get involved and, 
you know, that's a, that's a constant, you know, kick in the butt to keep doing this work. Right. Yeah, of course, man. Of course. And look, uh, having, having a, having a, a mom, single mom, you know, they're t- My mom was tough, man. Mm-hmm. Tough and PG. I mean, I, where I grew up, we grew up in P- Prince George's County, uh, lived inside the beltway, lived outside the beltway, lived in public housing, lived in different places, but uh, we made it through. And so, um, um, so, you know, just being from PG and understanding the things that people go through every day, uh, it's helped me become a great legislator and again continues just to inspire me man it makes me wake up every day and say man I love my job I love what I yeah. do um, yeah. and so let's continue to work hard to get these things done for people so yeah absolutely that's great that's great and and I mean so I, I for our for our listeners I think most of you are probably familiar because we've talked about it before if you're not Maryland does have a part-time legislature we've got uh, other jobs often in addition to the legislative work we do and and Along, you've got a, a another job now that that gels kind of perfectly with that whole you know mission of, of making a difference in the world. You are now uh, executive director of Casa in Action, which is uh, focuses on mobilizing working class and immigrant voters. And you just you, you basically just got back from Georgia a little. <laughs> Help get uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock and, and uh, John Ossoff elected to the U.S. Senate. Tell us a little bit about that experience. What were you doing in Georgia? What was it like? Yeah, look, I thought it was, uh, look, we won. We've saved democracy along with Stacey Abrams and New Georgia, Pro- New Georgia Project, places like mm-hmm. Mahente, who built a foundation already in Georgia so that we can come down there and actually have an impact. Um, but, you know, our organization decided, you know, I just got this position, Eric, maybe in September, but I just announced it in December sometime right. uh, after the uh, November elections. But I've had it for some time just preparing for the, for issue, for races like these that are important to our membership. And our members, because we're a membership-based organization of over 120,000 members. And so what we dis- so what our members wanted was us to move immigration reform at the, at the, at the federal level. You know, we've done what we can at the state level. We're doing what we can at the at the um, at the local level to help try to make sure that folks are taken care of. But it is really the federal level that oversees our federal immigration. And so they said, "This is our once in a lifetime opportunity to turn the Senate blue. Let's go down there and bring our infrastructure that we've developed in Pennsylvania, in Virginia, and in Maryland, and bring our canvassers down there and win Georgia." So that was their that was their. Um, that was what they told. That was what they told us to do. That was that. That was their. That was their directive, mm. and we did just that, man. We hired over uh, sixty canvassers uh, in Georgia. We bought down canvassers from Maryland and Pennsylvania and Virginia that worked with us for a very long time, and we used all of our wherewithal to get to get the job done. Uh, we knocked on over fifty thousand doors every day oh. from. From 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 when Thanksgiving when, the, when Black Friday hit, we went the next week right down to Georgia to start with knocking on doors, and that's exactly what we did. And door knocking is what we do. I know you know that from your time of knocking on doors. Mm-hmm. And that's the way to give. That's the way to really mobilize voters into winning elections. And so we focused on our ground game, and I think that's what won Georgia, and including including what Stacey Abrams, New Georgia Project, and Hinton, and all these other different organizations down in Georgia has laid the foundation to get something like this done. And, um, you know, January 6th, man, it was a day to remember for so many yeah. different reasons. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was, it was a fantastic win and y'all did great work. And it's, I mean, it's a great example. Like, you know, people tend to look at politics and 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 talk about, you know, the people at the top. People talk about Stacey Abrams and they should because she's done fantastic work, but it was years of organizing, years of grassroots work. It was it was thousands of volunteers and paid canvassers and, and folks putting in the shoe leather to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, these organizations again have set the 
set the foundation for people to come down there. Our organization has been doing this for decades now. And so we literally already had our workshop, our, our, our had things ready to go. And we just took it down there. We fundraised for it. Uh, so many Marylanders helped out with the fundraising piece. And so many people around the country really got involved, man. I mean, people from all over called down into Georgia. We knocked on doors and they asked people, they asked us, can you please tell people to stop calling my house? Uh, <laughs> the voters did. Uh, but it was important because people found that this was a, we, we found a reason to really uh, make sure that we have impactful change in our democracy and, mm -hmm. or, and significant change in the Senate. And so we were really just excited to be down there and to really get the job done. And man, we turned Georgia blue twice. Yeah, It's a matter of two months, man. Twice. It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, not, not to mention the recounts that happened with Trump, though, right? Right. The, the, right. Not, not to mention the four recounts that happened with Georgia. <laughs> hey, and a, a lesson for all you listeners at home, if you're getting tired of people knocking on your doors or calling you during a campaign, you know what you do? Go to early voting and vote early, and you'll get pulled off those lists, and you won't get bothered anymore. So. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Speaking of elections, though, so you used to chair the, the election law subcommittee a ways back now, and um, last year's elections were unique. Right, I, totally, totally different than any other elections we've seen in our lifetimes because of the, the impact of COVID. What do you think are the, the lessons we can draw from last year that we should be applying as, as we're you know, making new election law? Like what, we sh what should we be focusing on to, to expand democracy? You know, first thing we can do, um, as a, as a shameless plug here, we can, we can pass one of my bills <laughs> that we passed last year to open access to the ballot through early voting right now through in, during our primaries. Uh, early voting starts at 10 a.m. We should move that to 8 a.m. like we do in the general elections for mm -hmm. uh, gubernatorial elections, for presidential elections. We should make sure that it's the same. We open access to it. Uh, obviously, we've seen some things right now uh, with um, vote by mail um, that we should get involved in and make sure it's more, one, that it's more secure, and two, that we expand access to it. Um, we saw that the governor closed so many different um, actual election polling sites um, we should open it up for both. We shouldn't. We should. We should open it up for both, so they can vote by mail. They have the option to vote by mail, and also the option to uh, vote in person. And mm -hmm. we shouldn't limit the amount of polls that are out there for folks either. Um, I think we should. We show that you know that Marylanders are ready for vote by mail. They're ready for. They're ready for more options, not solely vote by mail, in my opinion. But uh, that's to be debated. But I think that we have a lot of issues um, that we saw from this. Um, from this particular issue. And we also saw that we need to make sure we have a better vendor, uh, <laughs> or hopefully a better Maryland-based vendor to print our ballots. So folks at home, so you know this, that our ballots are printed. And so our State Board of Elections has to go through a procurement process to get a vendor in order to print our ballots off and to mail them to you. Unfortunately, last time, so many Marylanders, uh, one, didn't receive their ballots that was, mm -hmm. that was supposed to automatically be sent to them, or, or they were sent ballots that were only in Spanish and their family spoke English. So there were so many different issues that happened um, that we have to make sure that uh, we hire vendors, hopefully vendors that are Maryland based, uh, but also that we that we do a better vetting of these vendors uh, to print off our ballots because this is truly our democracy at stake here, right? right. Of ensuring that uh, we have a true vendor that can print these and deliver uh, the services that they said that they can render. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I love, by the way, that bill that uh, moving the, the early voting hours earlier for, for the primary. I mean, you know, so much of the state is the primary election is the whole game, right? Like the general yeah. election is basically decided in the primary and, and you know, starting at 10 a.m., basically anyone that, that works a, a nine to five job can't vote.
morning, man. Can't worry. They, 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 you're absolutely right. They can't vote in the morning, man. And that's and that's unfortunate. And you know, we, you know, under my under my leadership, under and I'm glad you brought this up because I thought we did some really great things under my leadership as chair of the, as chair of the election law, uh, like expanding voting rights uh, for ex felons, mm -hmm. ensuring that we had um, same day voter registration, um, getting dark money out of politics, out of mm -hmm. our PACs and and our big big out of PACs, and making sure that we know who is actually impacting, who has actually given money to our, influencing our elections here in Maryland. Um, right. So that was really important. And so we did some really good expansions of voting rights and, and to include expanding uh, early voting centers <laughs> in the yeah. state of Maryland. Yeah. Uh, so I think on the horizon, we're going to have, uh, we saw that, you know, this governor and because the governor, had, and I'll just bring this up real quick, but the governor has the, appoint, the ability to appoint um, the state board of elections, but also all the local boards of elections, mm -hmm. um, places like yours and mine, Eric, that has a democratic base. Uh, we have Republicans that are leading yeah. our state boards of elections and don't believe in our values of expand, expanding uh, voter access. And right. so we have to change that at some point that, you know, maybe it shouldn't be the governor that appoints these local boards of elections. Maybe it should be the local counties or the local uh, municipal officials of those different counties. Um, we should look into that and see what, what are the best ways we can do this uh, to ensure that our, that our voters aren't disenfranchised because of, uh, because of who's in office. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, and, and the the partisan balance doesn't make sense. I mean, you're you're 100 right with that, and it's just as true with Republican jurisdictions, right? I mean, I, right. I don't think a Democrat has ever, you know, been voted for for president by Garrett County, Maryland, and <laughs> right. time a Republican won citywide, and in, in the city of Baltimore was probably Theodore McKeldin in the 1950s, right? So. <laughs> Why does Baltimore City have a Republican majority board of elections? And why under Democratic governors does Garrett County have a majority Democratic board? It makes no sense. It makes no Absolutely. Totally agree. So agree. I can't I can't wait till you co-sponsor that bill, man. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I'm happy to support it, man. So so you did you did all this great work as chair of the election law subcommittee, and then you 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 moved over to the education which you've been chairing now for the last couple of years. And and you know, I know you've been hard at work. Uh, trying to figure out how to deal with the learning loss that that kids are experiencing because of COVID. I mean, this is it's it's having a huge impact on kids, particularly you know special ed students and ESOL students and low income students and you know students with with those types of unique needs. So, um, how do you think we can begin to address the the learning loss and the challenges of COVID on our on our uh, student population? Yeah, no, look, I'm just uh, proud that the. Um... The Speaker of the House appointed me to chair a work group that you were on, Eric, um, of uh, looking at virtual learning, a virtual learning work group uh, of the of the, the House members, and really looking at how can we improve virtual learning uh, moving forward. How can we change the laws? And so we made essentially about thirty recommendations to the Speaker uh, to take up uh, to become legislative. Uh, to become legislation. And so what we found is that there's a lot of issues that are happening that our kids are learning at a lower level now uh, due to uh, virtual learning. Uh, right now, kids aren't showing up. There's a lot of absenteeism um, that's mm -hmm. occurring right now. Many of our school systems are using different um, ways to actually implement or using tools or um, what's it called? Um, using technology um, that's different from others. So there's no equity within the system. They're grading at different levels too. So that's inequitable uh, that's happening right now. Uh, so what we decided to do was uh, propose um, recommendations to the speaker that we believe will make a significant impact. And that comes from extending learning, extending in-class learning time, extending the school day, 
extending um, offering um, summer school uh, to students, um, ensuring that students have direct one-on-one tutoring uh, for at all ages, um, not just pre-K through, through, through third grade. Um, and so those are just a few things, but I, I, I want to wait, Eric, until we until we actually unveil that bill uh, before I give out everything. Hey, sure. Uh, no, but you gave us a sneak peek, which is great. Yeah, that's that's, that's all I'm gonna give you guys right now. But, you know, just know that, you know, we, we were hard at work over the course of the last uh, six months uh, trying to understand virtual learning, uh, the experiences that our teachers go through, the experience that our parents go through and especially the experiences that our students go through because we have to provide them with the services that they need, uh, the, the connections that they need in order to be successful um, in the classroom, no gotcha. matter what they are. Gotcha. So yeah, you hear that highlighters, you gotta, you gotta keep following along with, uh, with Delegate Washington here for when the, the full bill gets announced. Um, so one of the other things you've been involved with during the interim uh, is you were appointed to co-chair the, the Prince George's County Police reform task force, right? So you've been part of those conversations, which have been, I mean, such important national conversations going on the last few years, but particularly since the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and the national reaction to that. Um, so talk a little bit about that task force and your work and, and recommendations and where you think policing's going in the county. Well, look, so Angela also Brooks, our great county executive here in Prince George's County, appointed me to be co-chair of the police reform work group, which I'm such an I'm, I'm an I'm honored to have this opportunity. Me as a black man, a young black man, she appointed me to lead this task force that has that has a this this police department has a history of racism, a history and that was recognized by the federal government and in multiple occasions. And mm -hmm. so to be able to lead this is a, a truly an honor and a privilege and so I'm um, so I'm grateful to the county executive but also grateful to her for even developing this uh, task force because she didn't have to right um, they could have just said let's sweep it on the rug and let's keep it let's keep it. Um, but you know we we while simultaneously Eric <laughs> I was uh, chairing the other work group on education I was also co-chairing that work group uh, on policing reform. So my hands were, I would do, I had a lot of work on my hands, but we ended up recommending over, we ended up developing over the six month period that we started in July and ended in December. Uh, we ended up making over 80 different recommendations. The report is a 104 page report uh, made by citizens, uh, former police officers, advocates of, of police reform, um, public public safety officials, as well as county government officials and regular citizens. And we all work together to come up with a comprehensive plan to reform our Prince George's County Police Department, which is outside of our school system is the most funded um, public, is the most funded department within our county at about $390 million a year, a year. And so what we made recommendations for was to train to, 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 to reform our hiring, recruiting and training practices, uh, repeal LEOBR, which is a law enforcement bill, bill of rights. Um, let me take a step back, I'm sorry. So we made multiple reforms and we didn't let anybody off the hook, Eric. We said that county executive, we're gonna make recommendations to you. County council, we're gonna make recommendations to you. And Maryland General Assembly, including you and me, Eric, we're gonna make recommendations to you too, uh, because we feel like there's a holistic approach to policing and not just the county executive. Mm -hmm. uh, so we covered uh, LEOBR, as I said, 
uh, we cover traffic stops and ensuring that we're not doing any uh, any of these traffic stops anymore. We're we're actually collecting the data on traffic stops because we weren't doing that before, but mm. we're trying to make sure that we are no longer um, doing those race-based traffic stops that we see every day because that's the most interaction that the police has between black and brown uh, men and women uh, mostly. And so we're trying to get our, our police department outside of out of the business of of pulling people over for for regulatory infractions. We believe that that should be dealt other places and they should mail them an actual um, infraction instead of pulling them over at that time. Right. Um, we also talked about, I know, you, I know, I know you're gonna love hearing this, Eric, but I created an inspector general's office for <laughs> for the French Rangers County Police Department. And it's gonna be completely independent. It's gonna have a racial equity director and coordinator in it. And so, you know, that's gonna be huge for us in our county because we've had history of racism and right. sexual and sexual and gender and gender and gender um, 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 issues. And so that position will be really good for to make sure that the police isn't policing the police anymore. And so have an independent arbiter that can really look at our police department and, and constantly yearly give advice and make sure that they are um, adhering to the laws and standards. So those are just a few things that we did. And um, there's a lot more, including SROs, this issue of SROs, whether or not we should remove SROs from our school or keep them in our schools. What we decided to do was keep SROs in our schools uh, mm -hmm. because we felt that, and this was unanimously across the board, the progressives to the more conservative folks did not want to remove SROs from our schools. We found out the real key issue here, Eric, in our county is that we have school security personnel. We have 260 security personnel for our high schools and middle schools. And so 260 of them, and that's way too many. In, in one high school, we have about 15 school security personnel and one SRO in that one particular high school. Wow. And they are, I mean, you think, just think about it. So that's about 20, that's about 2000 students, right? 15 right. security personnel. In a city of Highsville that has 20,000 people, there's not one time in, in a year or in a day where there's 15 police officers policing the city of Hydesville. Right, right. And so we're simply over-policing our students in our county and that mm -hmm. just has to stop. And so we made a recommendation to significantly reduce uh, the number of school security person school security personnel uh, because mm -hmm. we believe that that's just outrageous and should not occur um, in our county and nowhere and our and our school security personnel is the only school security personnel in the state that has arrest powers so they're arresting they're they're making 70 percent of the arrests in our schools eric wow 70 really? of our arrests are coming from these 90 school security personnel and that's just outrageous and should not happen and we shouldn't be policing our kids at such a high rate because that adds to the school to prison pipeline yeah. and, and it doesn't create a, a great relationship with our community. Obviously, safety is our priority, but mm -hmm. let's not mix safety, safety and security with over policing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what I like, I mean, it's, it's a comprehensive set of recommendations. What I like about it is, you know, this is a, the. The, the issues with policing and with institutional racism in policing and, and criminal justice generally are a systemic problem. So your, your, your task force tried to come up with a systemic solution, right? You're approaching it from multiple angles at once. That's exactly the kind of thing we need to be doing. That's great. Yeah, no, thank you for that, man. That's that's exactly how I, how I envisioned it when the, when the county executive asked me to do it. I was like, man, we're, we're not letting anyone off the hook. Mm -hmm. Nobody can say that we didn't make recommendations for them. Uh, you know, the Washington Post said that, you know, we touched every single angle, uh, yep. including including. <laughs> and so we touched every angle of policing that we possibly could uh, to ensure that uh, no stone was unturned. 
That's great. That's great. It's it's not just holding the police accountable. It's holding everyone accountable for the work the police do. Correct. That's great. Okay. We, we, we usually finish out with some fun questions, some more. Oh yeah, let's do it. So we, got, we got a pair of true or false questions. And then, and then I'm going to ask you the, the, the Maryland two, which used to be the Maryland three, but now it's the Maryland two. Okay. So first, so you used to, in, in at least high school, and I think in college a little bit too, you were an athlete, right? And you did track and football. So true or false track is a better sport than football. I have to say false. I have to say false. false. What? Yeah, no. man. I I love I love I love track, man. You know, when I I ran track in high school, my out my senior year outdoor, and I can't tell you. I mean, I I went from I got gold medals almost every race that I ran because I was really fast. I was very fast. Yeah. But it almost seems like you're running with no purpose. Whereas football, you're running routes and it's fun and you get hit. You get to hit other people. It's a little bit more fun as a as a young as a young person. Track is just straight running, and I'm not I'm not doing any hurdles, man. I'm I'm running straight, like yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so Were you a I'm a sprinter. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a sprinter. Okay. My my first uh, race I ran I ran for the four the four hundred, which is one yeah. one round around the track, one one race around the track, and um, I ran it in fifty three seconds. By the end of by the end of my senior year, I ran it in 49 seconds. So I went, I improved four seconds out of that. So yeah, for those of you that have never run uh, a short distance track, a four second improvement is massive. That's, <laughs> that's a yeah, huge improvement. All right. Well, okay. You can be a football fan. I still think there's something to track. I mean, what other sport can you literally throw a spear in competition? I think that I, I love track. No, look, if we had that, I would love that. That would be fun. But you didn't do javelin? You I didn't do any of that stuff, man. Uh, it was just it was just track and field. It was, just, it was really just track. It was really just yeah. track for me. Just running no around. Field. Just running in circles. Just running in circles. No field. No field at That's all. fair. That's fair. Not as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, the next true or false question. True or false, Ways and Means is the best committee in the House of Delegates. Oh, true. Come on, man. There's no there's no comparison to any any other committee. Come on. Wait, what, what, what do people care about the most? They care about democracy education, taxes, mm -hmm. and when they want to have fun, they care about gaming, you know? They want, they want to go bet a couple of times, man. What do you, what do you, and when I go to community meetings, man, I swear, I'm, I can talk about every issue anybody want, anybody cares about because those are the three top issues they talk about all the time. Those are the issues yeah. that they really care about. That's true. That's true. We do. I mean, we have a good time in committee too. I mean, it's- Oh, that uh, too. Yes, of course. Yeah. Right yeah, we have a great, we have a great, we have a great committee. Obviously we have a great chairwoman. Uh, and you know we have some great members. We have some new members on board too. But mm -hmm. the spirit of Sheila Hickson lives on uh, from all of her her time as leading that committee. So uh, things won't change uh, because she's not there. But uh, we salute her for all of her uh, years of service to our committee and to the state of Maryland. Yeah, yeah. It was like um, I, more than forty years she served in the legislature. Amazing, amazing. Maybe someday you or I will will hit a public service record like that. But all right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the you know by the way, Sheila Hickson's old filing cabinet is in the Smithsonian. No, it's not really. Yeah, true story. So she worked at the Democratic National Committee when it got broken into by the Watergate burglars. And wow. filing cabinet is in this, this. That woman had history. She had wow. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely had that. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So our last question we end with, um, we, we ask you about Maryland. So uh, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite Maryland place? Can be any place in the state of Maryland. 
Um, and what is your favorite Maryland food? Now, I should say, this is not necessarily a Maryland-specific food. You don't have to pick crabs or Smith Island cake, but your favorite food that you can find somewhere in Maryland. So place and food, go. Um, well, let me start with food first. And I, I know it's gonna sound typical, but man, my mom and I had crabs all the time, man. Like <laughs> crabs is just a staple in our account, in our, in our family. And, uh -huh. you know, we, to, in remembrance of my mom on her birthday, we have crabs, man. Like, and yeah. so we are a crab obey family. Crabs is what I love. So if there's any Maryland staple for me, it's always gonna be crabs. I know sometimes we go down to the wharf in DC where we're from, you know, I was born in DC. And so sometimes we go down there, but Maryland crabs, blue crabs are absolutely the best thing. And I, and I know I sound typical, but that's just, that's just who I, that's just who we are, man. That's just yeah. who we are. Yeah, no, that, own it, man, own it. That's great. Yeah. Favorite yeah. Maryland place. Uh, favorite Maryland place outside of my home. Um, <laughs> I would think um, that's a great question, man. You know, I'm not an outdoorsy person. Um, but I, I think I think the Inner Harbor of Baltimore has to be one mm -hmm. of my favorite places to go. If it's not National Harbor, then it's Inner Harbor. The two mm -hmm. harbors, I love the actual harbor and the scenes of it and yeah. the downtown atmosphere of them all and the history that's there. And so I would I would choose between uh, in, the Inner Harbor in Baltimore or the National Harbor itself. Um, and, and sometimes, um, yeah, yeah, those are the two places. I think those are the two. Those are the two places. If Baltimore is number one, and then. And the, 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 the National Harbor is my is number I'll two. tell you what, I grew up right around the corner from National Harbor and there was nothing, there was nothing there, right? And, you know, you wanted to go shopping, you went to Alexandria, you went Waldorf, right? There was nothing in Southern Prince George's. Yeah. National Harbor is amazing. Can I, I mean, can it's I, amazing. No, absolutely. Can I, can I have a second, can I have another, uh, another option for food? Sure. Yeah, you go don't ahead. Mind? No, go ahead. So, so, so this is probably a Maryland thing, but it's probably more of a PG <laughs> French Georges County thing, but yeah. mumbo sauce, man, and Riverdale. <laughs> come on, man. You're not getting any better than that. Fried wings, French fries, mumbo sauce, DC, DMV area. Come on. You're not getting better than mumbo sauce. So, that, I mean, yeah. that's, that's good so stuff. It, it's good. It'll, it'll be, it'll be a close second to crabs, mumbo sauce. <laughs> you know what, you know what else though? If, if you're doing mumbo sauce and you're going regional half smokes, I love half smokes. Oh yeah. DC, like people don't even know what that is. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. When I went down to Georgia, I had to, had to teach a few people over Zoom what mumbo sauce was, so. <laughs> I'll one-up you, man. Right outside of Augusta, there's, a, a, out in the woods, like middle of nowhere, there's this tiny little chicken restaurant called Maryland Fried Chicken. Not Kentucky Fried Chicken, Maryland Fried Chicken. Wow, wow, <laughs> why? <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend that was in the Army. He was stationed down, I think it's Fort Stewart there in Augusta, and he took me there when I went down to visit him. So I, I don't know, but it's there, it's there. Food tips for the next time you're in rural Georgia. <laughs> yeah, right. Hopefully not anytime soon. <laughs> well, Alonzo Washington, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for all the work you do in the house. Thank you for uh, for coming on House Highlights tonight. No, thank you for having me, man. I can't wait to come in the next one, maybe next year or sometime, talk about some of the things that we're doing. And thanks for having this uh, platform, Eric. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a good night, man. You too.